Hello ladies and gents, welcome to the next Q&A in the Full and Focus series. My name is Danny Boy and I'm delighted to introduce a very special guest who played for the club in the 80s in that very special Malcolm McDonald side and then went on to have a fantastic career, most notably with Liverpool. I am of course talking about the one and only Ray Houghton. Ray, it's an honour to speak to you, thank you for doing this, how are you, you're okay? Yeah, very well, thanks, yeah, absolutely brilliant, um, looking forward to it. Answer some of the questions. Yeah, no, I've been looking forward to this one for a long time. Um, obviously, like uh, we've got a lot to get through, so I'm just going to crack on with the first one. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, first of all, uh, growing up, did you have any role models in the game that you looked up to and aspired to be? Yeah, well, when I was uh, very young, I was a Celtic supporter. So, I would have watched uh, the 1967 European Cup uh, win when Celtic beat the great Inter Milan. Um, so the likes of Jimmy Johnston was one of the first uh, players I really looked at uh, and thought, oh, wow, isn't he brilliant? So watching him as a youngster, then Kenny Dalglish, when he went into the first team at Celtic, they were the sort of players that I was looking at. Um, and, you know, they're the ones you, you sort of try to emulate when you're practising, when you're playing with your mates, you know, you're out there thinking, well, maybe one day I'll be like him. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Um... So, so what era was that then? Well, Celtic was 67. Uh, when uh, I was five years old when they won the, uh, the European Cup. And I remember uh, Jockstein was the manager uh, and they were out in Lisbon. That was where they played the final. Uh, but there was a big crowd of uh, Celtic supporters went walking down towards Jock's house to pay homage to him, even though we knew he wasn't there. But it was just a magical time, you know, um, to be a Celtic fan at that era was absolutely phenomenal because of the style of football that they played. But remember, this team beat uh, all in Europe that year. When you think that uh, all the players were uh, born within 20 miles of the ground. Oh, the Lisbon Lions, is that it? Yeah, the Lisbon Lions. Yeah. yeah that's who they was, yeah. So that was my, you know, when I was five years old, uh, I had two older brothers, they were Celtic supporters. So they, you know, they and I would be... Uh, you know, jumping up and down when Celtic won that day. It was, uh, I can remember it now, it was a phenomenal achievement. Did, did you did you play for Celtic in your career? No, I left I left uh, Scotland when I was uh, 10. I can remember it, uh, if it was yesterday. It was the 5th of November, so you tend not to forget to remember, remember the 5th of <laughs> November. But my uh, mum and dad and my sister had already come down to London. Uh, they were staying at an aunt's house. And then me and my two older brothers, we came down on the 5th of November... Uh, 1972, 10 years of age, not long before my 11th birthday. So, no, I didn't uh, get to uh, be involved up there. I mean, I was playing, you know, a decent standard, playing for the school. Back then, I was a centre forward. I was a goal scorer. Um, so it was only when I came down to England um, uh, that started to change when I was about 12, 13, started to play in midfield. And so, so what, why did you come to England? Was it a, just a family move or was it for football? Right, yeah, no, it was, no, it was through work, really. Um, there wasn't a great deal up there and my two older brothers at the time would have been around about 18 and 15 um, so they needed work my brother was a one was a carpenter the other one was a motor mechanic and there wasn't much work up there for them so the family decided to come down uh, and make a new life if you like down in down in London and and so is, so obviously coming to London that's how you got scouted by West Ham no not at all no I was actually uh, I played for Islington Boys so that was where I, I played. I went to a, a school called St. Louis, New York, which was in Islington. And then from that, I got chosen to play for Islington uh, schoolboys. 
Uh, so back then I played with Tracy White, who played in the uh, final of the FA Cup for Brighton against Manchester United. And Tracy went all, also went on to manage Queen's Park Rangers only a, a short time ago. And I played with, uh, yeah, sorry, that was Tracy Ramsey. And then Tracy White played for Arsenal and he played for Leeds United. So them two were in my uh, Edmonton boys team. So, yeah, this was a very good side. Um, uh, I was used to go training at Arsenal at the age of 12 on a, either a Tuesday or a Thursday night. That was part of the deal uh, pl- uh, playing for Islington. So I was there till about 14 and then I didn't grow. One of my you know, problems was I, was I could play all right, questioning my ability, but I was very small for my age. Um, and it was very difficult to get in anyone's first team as far as you know, being at Arsenal. So I left. And it wasn't until I was 16, I went to Queen's Park Rangers for a week's trial. Nothing came of it. Uh, and then I just started playing with my mates on a Saturday, played with my brothers on a Sunday. And at that stage, you know, I thought that my chances of being a professional footballer had gone. So so how did West Ham uh, find you then? Just just playing Sunday football or something? No, I, I mean, and even more lucky the moment for me. I mean, and I do tell these stories because there's a lot of youngsters out there who don't feel that uh, they're getting the rub of the green or things aren't going their way and I try to reassure them you know there'll always be someone looking or sometimes you just need a bit of luck and my bit of good fortune was a, a friend of mine Dennis Phillips Dennis and I had played at school uh, football together played at Islington Boys together played Sunday football together and Dennis got scouted when he was playing for another team by uh, a, a scout from West Ham called Bruce McClellan whose nickname was Matt uh, and Matt had seen Dennis play couldn't believe how good he was and that he wasn't with a club and just said to him is there anyone else like you you know is there anyone else who you know is a bit like you and it was simple as that and Dennis mentioned my name and he said well why don't you have a look at Ray Houghton uh, and then the scout came up to my house without ever seeing me kick a ball he said I'm just going on Dennis's recommendation I'd like to sign you on schoolboy forms for for uh, West Ham and at that time I was actually working uh, for a company called International Distillers and Vinters, which uh, sold J&B whiskey uh, all over the world. And my job was to do the bills of lading, the invoices, make sure that the uh, the, the big uh, wagons and, and such like uh, made it to the port and then got on the right ship and then got to the right destination. And I was doing that for six months before I signed uh, the professional forms for, for West Ham. I hope you've bought Dennis a few drinks over the years. Yeah, well, we don't get to see uh, too much. Dennis done very well. I mean, funny enough, he was at West Ham. We were both there together. I got taken on as a professional, and he didn't. I mean, that's uh, that, that's what happens in, in football. You know, one door opens for one person that closes for another. But Dennis has done very well for himself, and, um, you know, he's a, he's, he's a lovely fellow. And, of course, yeah, I'm very thankful to him for, you know, giving me that opportunity and, also to the, the scout because you know if he never asked, it, it, it might not have happened. You don't know what's going, to, what's going to go on, but certainly that was my opportunity and I took it. I've I've always firmly believed that um, for a lot of players, it's fate. It's fate that you become a professional footballer. The way it all falls into place, like you said, if the, if the scout didn't ask, if if Dennis didn't recommend you, who knows? You might still be um, selling whiskey now. Absolutely, but, but what you've also got to do in situations like that, and it's what I try to tell the youngsters whenever I go, and mainly it's over Ireland, where I go to schools and talk about my career and 
I always try to give them the same bit of advice. You know, you, if you've got a dream and you've got a belief in your ability, don't let anyone extinguish that dream. You know, you've got to keep going and keep pushing as, as, as much as you can until you've, you know, exhausted every opportunity. Uh, and that's what happened with me. As soon as I got the chance to go to West Ham, I knew, right, I've got to do everything in my powers to make it work. And that's what I tried to do to the best of my ability. Absolutely, yeah. And and, and the, the door did kind of close for you at West Ham, didn't it? Well, it did. I mean, it was there for three years. I mean, my first year I found it difficult because, obviously, uh, I was only training at West Ham uh, and playing on a Saturday. I was full-time, you know, and not only was full-time, even though I was a pro, I still had to do the duties of an apprentice, so you still had to get the kit ready in the morning for the players, clean the boots afterwards, get the kit washed, get it dry, you know, you, and, and, and West Ham in that particular time, the training was very, very intense. You know, you were doing double sessions Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, so I could be leaving the house at seven in the morning and not getting back to that half seven, eight o'clock at night, and... You know, in between that, you've worked extremely hard uh, at the training at the training ground with the sessions that we were doing. Um, so my first year, I found it difficult. Second year was a bit better. But my third year, my last year at West Ham, um, I was absolutely gobsmacked that they let me go because that season, uh, playing in the reserves, I had scored 19 goals uh, from midfield, which, <laughs> you know, if you take that into consideration today, you know, I'd probably get a five-year contract on absolute fortune. What I got there was a free transfer. They let me go. So it's the difference between you know uh, manager liking you, believing in you, thinking that you can do it or not. Uh, and at the time, John Lyle didn't think I was quite ready for his first team. Hence the reason he was uh, he was uh, allowing me to leave the club. Well, I think hindsight come back to slap them in the face, didn't it? The way what you went on to achieve. So well, yeah. Well, you know, that's one of the things. I mean, what he did do it made me even stronger to prove that he got it wrong. You know, he, he, I think he'd done it for the right reason because he had, a, he had Paul Wallen at the club, he had Alan Dickens coming through and maybe he felt that, um, you know, I wouldn't be getting much opportunity. And he did say to me, look, he said, if you don't get a club, uh, we'll take you on for another year. So there was that reassurance that that could happen. But once you've been told that, you know, you're surplus to requirements, you really think to yourself, right, I need to move on and, and, uh, and go somewhere else. And I had offers, you know, there was uh, the likes of Millwall, Reading, and, uh, and then later on, Luton came on, uh, came in, and Man City. But I'd already agreed to go to Fulham, and really that was down to two people. One, uh, Terry Mancini, the, the Fulham uh, reserve team manager, because <clears throat> I'd done very well in the matches against Fulham in the, in the combination league, and Terry had seen me play. Um, and then once he had seen that I was up for uh, as a free transfer, um, he then rang. John Nile to you know, find out a bit more about me and couldn't believe um, you know the, the age that I was and that I wasn't uh, you know a bad egg that I didn't do much wrong I just got on with playing and training uh, and Terry said look you know I think you're making the wrong decision to John Nile but that's your loss and we'd be delighted if we would come and speak to Malcolm McDonald and once I did that went to the cottage spoke to Malcolm um, it was an easy decision to to, to go to Fulham. What, what did Malcolm say to you to convince you? Well, <clears throat> Malcolm was a great motivator. I, I wouldn't say he's the greatest uh, at uh, you know organising training or, or putting on sessions of training. That was down to the late great Ray Hufford. Ray was brilliant at that. You know, as good as I've, I've worked with as, as far as coaches are concerned. Malcolm was the motivator. You know, Malcolm couldn't feel ten feet tall, and 
you know, he would uh, say, you know, get you rah, 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 and everyone would be ready to go. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he impressed upon me where he wanted for them to go, where he seen me in the team, um, and, you know, he thought this would be the perfect uh, match for the pair of us, for, for the club and for me. Uh, and he just sold it to me, and, you know, it was quite easy to, to accept his offer to come to the club and, and, uh, and play. Oh, good. So, so did you just... Um jump straight into the first team yeah I did yeah I mean we went away pre-season and we went to Ireland and we went to Southern Ireland for a couple of games and I think we played one game up the north near Stormland Castle um, and then you know it was, it was great because my first introduction was to Les Strong uh, and you know Les was uh, I think captain at the time and um, M- Malcolm said go and take him down speak to the lads and, you know, the, the obvious question, you know, what, what sort of nickname have you got? What one don't you like? And I said, I don't like being called uh, Jock, uh, Sweaty Set Jock. So uh, he introduced me to the lads as Sweaty. So that stuck and that's typical of Strongy. Uh, but it was great, you know, just to get in there, get uh, in amongst the lads um, and then get played. Um, it was great. And our first season was brilliant because we were on a high from the previous season. Uh, they had really good players. Um, if you look at the, you know, the start and the eleven, and if you look at the shape of the team, I remember speaking to Ray Harford about this, um, and he said that he, he felt that at Fulham that they uh, invented the uh, the diamond midfield. You know, they were Ray Lung to sit deep. Robert Wilson would push quite high up. I'd be on the left and Sean Driscoll on the right. So it was just a great season. You know, the football was great. Um, so many highs. Uh, and just the lower was at the end, really, in the last few games. And when, when you was introduced to the team, like, what, 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 what were the group like? Were they a friendly bunch? Was it a close group? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like typical football club. You love your, you love your quiet players, like Sean O'Driscoll. His nickname was Noisy because he didn't say nothing. And then you'd have your characters, which would be Big Roger, Big Brownie you know, as captain. You know, he's good leader. You know, yeah, I liked him. He, he, he sort of epitomised it. Film was about hard working, determined, you know, feisty. And then you had your jokers, which would be Gailey, um, Rob Wilson, Lockie, Strongy. You know, they're the ones that uh, sort of run the dressing room. So, yeah, it was typical at that particular time. Friendly uh, lads, good, good, good boys. And they all had a, a real determination, desire to, to play well and, and, and do well. And what was your nickname? <clears throat> Hello? Hello? What was your nickname? Hey, no, my nickname is, was Sweaty. Sweaty Soft Jock. The one I didn't want. That's the one that... <laughs> and it was the one that stuck between him and Gailey. Them two were the thickest thieves, Strong and, and, and Gailey. And they are still very good mates to this day. You know, uh, extremely good mates. So they, they've, they've come through the ranks. Gailey was a young kid coming through at Fulham. When Les was there, I think Les played numerous games for the club. And great servant to, to Fulham. But he was, he was a great sense of humour, really dry sense of humour. And Gary was just fun-loving and, you know, very chirpy, typical Cockney boy, you know what I mean? He was uh, full, of, full of himself and, and could back it up because he could play. So it, it was a good reason for him to be the way he was. But it was a, it was a really fun place to go to train every day and to play your games. So, so I mean, I'm going to compare it to, to Liverpool in a, in a little while. I want to I focus more on um, your personal um, feelings about Fulham. What was your favourite goal? Uh, 
And if it was a Newcastle one, we'll, we'll move straight on to that because I've got a question to ask about it. Yeah, <clears throat> undoubtedly that was my favourite goal, yeah. Um, I mean, it was an unbelievable performance. Um, everyone played their part that day. But for Malcolm going back to Newcastle, you know, that was huge for him. You could tell, you know, he was a bit edgy, a bit nervous, but at the same time, really looking forward to it. And he was just hoping that his team would drop the performance. And to do what we did, in the manner that we did and score the goals that we did and it was the first time I think I'd seen myself on we were on match of the day I can't remember what game we were I might have been second or third but to see the highlights of your game for the first time and to see the football that you played and the goals that we scored you know it all fitted in it was, it was a magical it was a magical taste for us and, and, and how far out was the goal because my mum my mum was there and, and she talks about the goal quite a lot and every time she describes it, it gets further and further out. It's going to be on the in, in the in the goalkeeper's box soon in Fulham End. <clears throat> I've got to tell you, it's a bit like you know when you catch a fish and then you you know you, you know it starts off it was about six inches and then the time you told the story for the twentieth time, it's about four foot long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's how it goes. Yeah. I mean, how I remember it was I was it was on the, la- the left I don't know, the left hand side, which is where I was playing. There's a couple of Newcastle players came to close me down. <clears throat> I went past a couple of them, and then I just thought, oh, I wonder if it, I think it was Kevin Carr was the keeper. Uh, so I thought, I wonder, you know, if I can get it over the top. Of them. And when I hit it, it was one of them. You thought, oh, it's not high enough. Keeper's going to save it, uh, or maybe it's going wide. And then when it hit the back of the net, you know, you're off and running. But we'd already scored at least one, maybe two goals before that, which were a real top quality. You know, the, some of the football we passed through Newcastle to get the goals was absolutely unbelievable. And Bear in mind, they Kevin Keegan, you know, back then, they Terry McDermott, you know, they're a very good side, and, you know, with Malcolm coming back, everything, the anticipation was that their players would be up for it, really up for it, you know, show Malcolm, uh, it was, they were labelled with, with Keegan being there, Keegan against McDonald and one thing or another, but it was uh, the Fulham players that stepped up that day and just delivered, you know, a, a, a performance of real quality, you know, and it was as good as, you know, you know, from that division, you know, the football we played was brilliant. Anyone that's seen the goal on YouTube or, or on Match of the Day, like you said, will know what you thought of the goal if they can lip read. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but when you're running away um, celebrating, it's quite obvious what you thought of the goal. But I, I won't say it on here in case kids listen. Well, I, see, I remember, because back then I used to still go back and watch uh, West Ham Reserves. Because, you know, I'd spent three years there and had a lot of my mates still playing for the reserves at West Ham. So I remember going back, I can't remember if it was the Tuesday or Wednesday of the following week, and, you know, everyone was congratulating me on the goal, apart from my ex-manager, John Lyle, who actually said to me, he, he just came up with his words, he said to me, he said, if my goalie was in there, he, he, he would have saved that, and just walked away, and I just couldn't believe, you know, that he, uh, he couldn't even... At that stage, say well done. You know, it was uh, it was too much for him to say well done to me. Is that is that the same guy that re- released you? Yeah, yeah, John Lowe, Yeah, he was the West Ham manager at the time. Yeah, so uh, it's always something that you know uh, I remember. But I knew I must have got under his skin because uh, you know because um, it was such a, a unique moment. You know, I've gone away, come back, see my mates, scored the goal. Now I wasn't there to to brag. You know, I'd done it numerous times beforehand as well to come and see the boys. It wasn't something new. Uh, and everyone else was going to congratulate me, apart from my ex-manager. 
goal, he wouldn't have let it in, he would have saved it. So uh, it was a, it was a, a very uh, poignant moment for me. Yeah, I bet, I bet, I bet, deep down, I bet, I bet you was feeling a bit smug though. I bet you was like, yeah. Well, yeah, no, well, listen, you, you know, to go away and get me someone's first team is brilliant. You know, then I, I had a, a lot of uh, people that I looked up to, to at West Ham, Alan Devonshire, Phil Parks. When when I was, a, you know, a first year pro, second year pro at uh, at West Ham, and when I didn't have enough money uh, to pay for my fares because I was on seventy quid a week first year, eighty quid a week second year and you're struggling you know um, they were the ones who I would meet at Mylan Station and say look come with us to Barking and we'll get a taxi in from there to the training ground you know I couldn't afford that but they did that for me uh, and then there's the likes of Frank Lampard Senior when I was away with the first team uh, for a midweek game coming home at two in the morning not being able to get home because I didn't have the money for a taxi and I'm saying to me no come around my house uh, you can come and stay with me get me up for breakfast the next morning his wife making some breakfast and then him driving me into the training ground even though he had a day off. You know, they're the people you remember. You know, they're the ones that stand out to you. And that was the sort of club West Ham was at that particular time. You know, they had fantastic characters. So that's why he wanted to go back, you know, because they're good friends there and people who are, are, are really respected. Well, that, that's some good insight because from the outside um, looking in, it... West Ham to me don't feel like a family club. It, it feels like a bit of a front, you know. They make out they are, but big time Charlies. That's what they seem to me. Yeah, well, I think you're thinking of the more recent times, more so than you know. As I say, when I played, when I was there, you know, and and I, I would even say when Gailey was there for all them years, there was, um, you know, the, 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 there is this genuine love for the club. You know, I was with Tony Cotty and uh, Les Strong the other night and, and, and Gailey and Alan Devonshire, you know, and just talking about old times. And, you know, you, you remember all the, you know, the good times. And, I mean, West Ham is the hardest training I've ever had. Uh, and it was led by Billy Bonds. You know, Billy trained as he played. Unbelievable attitude. Likewise, Frank Lampard Senior, you know, he would go in his day off and, you know, he'd be getting his spikes on and he'd try to improve his speed. You know, things like that, David Cross, Europe Pearson, I could go through them all. Unbelievable pros who, you know, did the right things, you know, in training. They were there to make improve themselves. They were there to work hard. There was no messing around. There was no messes. Yeah. There was none of this all turning up late for training. That would be, uh, you, know, you wouldn't need the manager to tell you that was wrong. Billy Bond would tell you. You know, that means a leader. Was there anyone like that at Fulham? What was the training like at Fulham? Was it the same or was it less strict? Oh, yeah. I mean, we we loved coming into training because Ray was so uh, innovative. You know, he's seen, he wanted to do things, he wanted to improve. He, you know, he would get the defenders say, no, you know, don't worry about being back here, push up here. And they were like, why? Well, you know, they're offside. Or they're, you know, he was just always thinking about the game. He was always one step ahead. He was our uh, go-to man. And we all loved coming into training. I mean, I used to come in with Lockie and uh, uh, Clippy Carr, uh, we were the uh, the boys that came over from East London, if you like. So we used to all meet up over by Bethnal Greenway, get in one car and drive from there to to the training grounds. And we used to have such a laugh going there and coming back. I mean, it was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. You know, and, and you see, no big time Charlies. I mean, I think at that time, uh, Lockie had a, a little mini, twelve seven five mini, which we were only probably held four of us. 
and it was tight getting into the into the car with the four of us anyway. <laughs> you know, that was a life right there. And I remember then when I moved to Wolfgang and Robert Wilson and I would come into training and we'd meet Dale Tempest and others and we'd all jump in one car because we didn't want to save, save a bit of the petrol going in. Uh, but we also had a great van, a great fun going into training and coming back. That was what it was like back then. You know, it was a completely different today. And did the manager like you um, going into training together to, to build up? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, what we, we, you normally find with most football clubs, and I'm sure it still goes on today, you know, we, we would have carbs school. So, like, going up, to, uh, you know, going away to games, we'd all have little clicks or little groups that you'd play cards in. So we'd play in Cold Hearts, and there'd be the likes of myself, and Malcolm would play that, and a couple of the others. You know, we'd be doing that going to games, coming back from games. You know, um, we used to have great fun, you know, going to the hotels Friday night, you know, when you sit down and have your meals and, you know, Gailey would be the usual jester, you know, telling a few things, doing a few things. And it, 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 when you think back, you know, you know, it was a great time to be a footballer. Uh, yeah, I mean, going back to the, the the Newcastle game quickly, was that was that your favourite game as well? Apart from the goal, was it your favourite match for Fulham as well? No, I, I remember playing against Leeds at home. Um, I think it was my first season. I think we won 3-2. Um, and that was a great day for me personally because um, someone who I grew up uh, with, he's, he's older than me, but he was the, the, the big player from my area in Glasgow. He was a fella called Arthur Graham. Arthur played at Aberdeen, moved to Leeds, uh, played for Scotland on the national team, and they went to Manchester United as well. Um so Arthur, where I used to live, we used to live in a tenement building. So I'd be on the bottom floor and he'd be on the top. And then it would be like a stairwell that would take you to all the different uh, houses or different apartments as you were going up. Um, and they were a big family, the Grahams, and he was the big the big player. And he won trophies with Aberdeen before he moved to, to Leeds. And, and then obviously you play against him that day. His family was there, my family were there. And they come out on top. There was a little bit of a bragging rights, you know, afterwards. So that was that was really good fun. So I enjoyed that. Is, is that the game where you scored another really good goal? No, I think it was uh, it was one where I was on the left and I hit a couple of players on the wing and crossed it over, and Gordon Davis scored a header, um, which um, I can't remember which goal it was. But it was just a, it was quite early on in the season. I think it was a really um, beautiful day, um, and it was just Leeds were a big team even then. You know, it was still a big side. Um, and to come out on top playing against him his family there my family for me it was a personal moment more than anything else um, so yeah that was, that was great that day oh nice because cause recently I did a like a poll with um, Fulham's best ever goal and obviously your Newcastle one was, was included but my dad seems to think you scored a really good curling sort of shot into the top corner and he at the cottage and he said it was against Leeds but... I mean, I think you know it was my first season that I I think we beat Leeds three two. So it may have been later on uh, when I when I scored against Leeds. Um, yeah, I couldn't find I couldn't find it anywhere. I was looking for footage. All of right, it. So this was just a personal thing playing against uh, Arthur. You know, um, because as I say, like I knew his family. One of my best mates uh, growing up was his brother David. David and I used to play all the time, you know, out in the back, out, out in the field at the back of the where we lived. Um, he was, a, a, I think, a year old in school-wise, but we were really good mates. 
so I knew the Graham family inside out, and you know Arthur was a big Celtic fan, and he went to Aberdeen, and he was cut in many respects, but he got his chance, and you know then he gone and played for Leeds, played for Scotland, uh, and then ended up at Manchester United. He, did, he had a great career, and um, pictures to that day, you know, for me, remembering him, what he was like growing up, and all the uh, all the adulation and everything that went his way, just to be playing against him that day was brilliant, and to come out on top uh, was fantastic. You know, for that first season, we had it full of them. I mean, we played the best football in that league. You know, there was no one who played better than us. There might have been others who got better results, but football-wise, uh, no one played better football than us. Yeah, it, 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 the way it's been described to me like, by my parents and older fans, it, it very much reminded me of Fulham last season, where they, they got oh so close to promotion in the playoffs. Yeah. Maybe not have been the best team for results, but... There was no question they were the most entertaining team to watch. Exactly, yeah. yeah that, that was, I mean, what, what our, our, our problem was, which is a little bit different to, to today, is we had a chairman back then, in Ernie Clay, who wanted to do it on the cheap. So I don't think we bought a player. I came for nothing. And if you looked at the start in 11, you know, they were all players that would have been there before. Jerry Payton had been there for, for a while. Yeah, you know, Hoppy, um, Big Roger, Daly, Lockie, nothing. And then there was myself and and you know, they went through the team and Dean up front and uh, Gordon. Uh, and the only one was uh, Andy Thomas we got in on loan. And he wouldn't want to buy him. He didn't want to buy him either. So, I mean, we done it on a shoestring. Absolutely nothing. You know, if you look back, uh, no money was spent at all. Um, so, you know, to do what we did and play the football we did, you know, it was all credit to to, to the manager. One, obviously, Ray Harford, who was the, the brains, if you like, behind it. Uh, and then the players who bought into it. But it was easy to buy into this style of football. You know, it wasn't that we were just punting the ball downfield. I don't think many people enjoy that. This was actually, you know, playing really good football. Yeah. I, I, I've been asked to actually tell you that uh, you were the best free transfer Fulham's ever had. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that one's uh, And Daly told me that one the other day. So uh, from him, it's a compliment, I can assure you. But yeah, it was, you know, it was. Uh, it, it, it fell. It fell Kindly for me to move, and then to you know to to move to a club like Fulham, where I wasn't going away from my comfort zone. I was still in London, still had my family around me, um, and to play in a, a, a team that had class players. You know, Ray Luton was a brilliant leader in midfield. You know, Sean O'Driscoll up and down the right. You know, you knew we want to get out shot every game. Uh, Dean Coney, if Dean could have scored more goals, geez, oh, how much would he have been worth? You know, and Gordon. Not only did Gordon score great goals, but he had great movement about. Um, so it was it was a pleasure. You know, it was it wasn't like you went into work and it was like, oh God, you know, this is going to be difficult. Every day you going into work was a was a pleasure. Playing in matches was a pleasure. The only thing that didn't happen is we couldn't see it through, and that was probably where we didn't have the depth of the squad. And I come back to the chairman not being uh, bright enough at the time to think maybe if we spend a couple of quid uh, on bringing one or two three additions just to help them out, uh, we'll get over the line and, you know, we've uh, got promoted that season. Yeah, and, and in the end, it, um, it came back to bite you on the bum, didn't it? That that derby game. Well, it did. I mean, I mean, I mean it was all, I mean, that was one of the most intimidating games I've ever played. At. You know, coming out for the warm-up and the derby fans were, you know, they obviously, they needed a, a, a result to stay in the division. Um so it was very intimidating and you could see at the end when the pitch was like 75, 50, you couldn't even see the, 
Well, yeah, it wasn't just the derby game. The, 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 it was like the the build up, the running towards the derby game. You sort of you run out of steam. Yeah, I think we lost you later, didn't we? Quite near the end. I think that was a massive game. Um, did we lose one nil? I mean, that long ago. I think it was one nil. We can check that. I think it was one nil. We lost to Leicester, and that was massive because I think if we had drawn that game or beat them, that would have been it. You know, we would have been definitely uh, uh, promoted that season. So that was a, that was a crucial game for us. And then, like, can happen. You know, you get into that last game, and there's so much pressure on both teams, and you know, we just didn't do enough in that match. Right, everyone, that's the end of part one of our Q&A with Ray Harton. Please follow us on Twitter for updates when the second part will be released. Be fairly soon. Until then, my name's Danny Boyett. Really hope you enjoyed it so far. And thank you, as always, for listening.